If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe Podcast family. That's why on your favorite podcast platform, it reads Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. And welcome to the first episode of 2024, where I have to say that. Oh, man. It's still is disappointing that <laughs> I have to do this damn intro. You have it down so well now, though. I do. It's one of those things that if people, like, trip me up while doing it, I'm like, oh, I think I gotta start over. Like, I, I can't, like, pick it up mid. It's, like, so, so robotic. Like, if there was ever a day where I actually get to call it the Comedy Bearfield Report, it'll be weird. It'll be weird. Because this is episode 197, folks. Am I going to do something special for episode 200? Probably not, but I probably should. TBD. TBD. Um, Anyways, on to this week's great, great guests. A fixture in the New York comedy scenes, uh, pulling the strings behind the scenes, um, and uh, producer of the upcoming institution of every new year in comedy uh not only in new york but around uh the country and maybe other places i don't even know we'll find out uh please give it up for sachi azura everybody hi i'm so happy to be here thank you so much for having me uh thank you for joining us uh how goes it in is it raining in new york it's rained in the morning in la no it's cold but um no we're in the dark dreary time of winter where uh there's no longer festive Christmas things up, and yet it is freezing for the next two and a half months. Right. Do you, do you, is uh, uh, Brownhawk Day something that you give a shit about? No, I couldn't even tell you what day that is. February something? It's February something, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I think that Puxatani Phil has probably been wrong like 98% of the time. Oh, I'm sure. I don't I I don't know. I couldn't tell you like when the last time he said what was and no, I have not kept track of that in any way, shape or form. Right. If somebody mentioned Groundhog Day, I'd be much more likely to think they were talking about the movie than the holiday. Definitely the movie has outpaced the day. Definitely. I mean, like Stephen Toblowski, who plays Ned Ryerson, I think like got a <laughs> he, he like he'll I think he has a podcast. I think he does comedy. And I mean, a big part of that is that he's in the movie. Yeah. The Tobolsky yeah, yeah. files. Yep. Yep. 
Um, but we're not here to talk about Groundhog Day. We're here to talk about New Year's. It is the New Year, twenty twenty four. Fifty first jokes is a annual show that happens at the beginning of the year. The premise of which is fifty or so comedians tell the jokes that they uh, wrote in the new year. Uh, usually within the first week, because the show is within like I would say probably five to eight days of January 1st. The comics are supposed to write new jokes. That doesn't happen all the time. No, increasingly less so because a lot of industry has started coming to the show and people don't want to just do something that they've never tried before, but that is the rule. And I do try to, uh, if I see people doing jokes that they have done a bunch before, I am like less inclined to book them in the future. Wow. Enforcer. I mean, yeah, I, enforcer. I, I don't know. Half the time they're doing something that's relatively new. And so I haven't been to every show. I have no idea. They could do something they started doing in November. Right. Um, and then they tweak one thing and that counts. Yeah. But okay. the purity of the show, the show in its like er version right. is like you should be doing something that you wrote in the new year. You haven't performed yet. Or maybe you performed it like if you got up on stage on January 2nd or 3rd, you tried it once. And now right. you're going to go do it for the first time in front of a right. big crowd. Yeah, agreed. And it's just one joke. And that's so sad to hear that like industry is coming and that has like comics nervous. Like, come on. Do you think you're going to get signed off of a joke? One joke. I mean, I, as somebody who now identifies as industry, like it is a smorgasbord of comics and it is really fun to see 50 people do really short sets. I think like I'm always inclined to go to shows where you get a little taste of a ton of people because at the very least you go like, oh, that person was really funny. I've never seen them before. Right. I should keep an eye on them. You right. know, like maybe right. you're not going to sign them, but like if it's, a, you know, it's better than sitting through four people's 15 minute sets at a normal show. Sure. And maybe you already knew three of them. And the other one is like, okay, they're good or they're not good, you know? But I think like there's something very exciting for industry who like a lot of us are in it to break people, to find new talent and get right. them out there. And right. so, oh, you get to see all these new faces, like, you know, same as going to JFL New Faces or, you know, right. any of the shows where people are doing shorter sets. That's true. I will say that it is like, I mean, I think I could judge somebody off of a joke that they tell on a show, uh, but that's not easy. No, I don't think I, I try not to hold it against anyone if they don't do well, because it is such a crapshoot of a show and it is like the goal of it is to take a risk. Right. But I do think I judge people for a great performance. If somebody is great, yeah. like it is, a, it's not an easy show. And no. if there's always early people, new newcomers who have never done it before, right. um, when they knock it out of the park, it's like a joy, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. So let's uh let's back up here for a second. Why don't you uh because you've been part of it for so 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 long, uh give us sort of the rundown in history and origin of 51st jokes. Sure. So 51st jokes was started um by uh our current host um and my co-producer on the show, John F. O'Donnell, along with um two other comedians, Jawan Lee, who has unfortunately passed away, um, and Claudia Kogan, who uh, is still out doing comedy and and a great friend of the show. Wow, that's um, where Claudia is. I know I knew Claudia like 12 years ago. Yeah. So Claudia and Joan and John started it, I believe, in like 2007 or 2008. I'm not 100% sure in the math. This is our 17th year, but uh, at the Parkside Lounge. 
um, on the Lower East Side. And then it was in the Creek in the Cave. Um, and it has since grown to the Bell House. Um, mm -hmm. We've also done like uh, 50, first, 50 best jokes we did. We did a the Dirty 30 for the New York Comedy Festival where comics told their dirtiest joke. Sure. Um, we did a New York and LA show called 50 Lady Bits um, that was a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. Um, Wait, is that the thing? Was that when Nermelt was around? I don't know. Uh, maybe. Sarah Schaefer hosted it in LA. Oh, yes. I want to let the listeners know. I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering this correctly, this was in response yes, to Eliza Schlesinger saying that everyone just talks about their pussy. And I'm the only one who talks about World War II. This is all correct. Yes. So Sarah like emailed me about, could we do an all female 51st jokes? And then we started planning it. And then we were like, what should we call it? Should we call it 50 vagina jokes? And then we were like, we were trying to be trans inclusive to a non-binary inclusive. And so we started to think of it as like, okay, 50 female and non-binary comedians right. tell jokes about their genitals, whoever they are, right? And I love the like evolution of that from like Eliza Schlesinger through like Sarah and my brain to this like wide diverse range of like femme and uh, female identifying comics and how that's like the history of feminism, right? It's like, right. there's like a, one woman pushes open the door and then she's like, wants to slam it back in the face of everyone else. And everybody else is like, nope, we're coming through too. Wider and wider, like aperture, let's all get in on this uh, feminism thing. So um, it was such a fun experience. It, it was my like Facebook banner photo for a long time because it was just like wild to have that many um, comics, female comics. And it was great. Uh, at once, yeah. Yeah, it was great. And then especially hearing people who like don't normally do material like that, like a Parna. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. I love Jess Tom said, this is the first, she, uh, they are non-binary, yeah. uh, use they, them pronouns. And they said, this is the first time I felt like I was being misgendered for a good cause, which I love. <laughs> That's great. Um, but yeah, so that 50 Lady Bits, that was a one-time thing, but mm -hmm. the show itself has grown to be in over 15 cities now. So LA was yeah. the second one, and then right. there's been other ones, and mostly people just kind of reach out and are like, do you mind if we could do 50 first jokes in our city? Right. Um, or if we see it just popping up in other cities, we will usually just email them and say like, hey, do you want to be part of our like roundup where we email out? Right. Um, so they're all very like dis deep centralized like everybody's just doing their own thing but it is really right. cool to me that it's all over the place now that's amazing uh what are the i know denver does it who else chicago new orleans uh seattle dc san francisco cleveland atlanta uh chicago uh portland uh -huh. pittsburgh yeah all over the place yeah that covers most of the major comedy scenes in america i don't know oh uh Austin, it's Nashville? Austin one? Austin one? I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, Austin's changed. <laughs> they can still do food for strokes. They still have a lot of really amazing comics there. They they do. It's It hasn't been like a wave yet, but I've met one or two comics that have moved from Austin to LA. And uh, they're like, yeah, it's not the same anymore. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, which is... It's so ironic because like... The, Joe Rogan left LA to go to Austin. Uh-huh. And now those two two folks I met, they left Austin to go to LA because Joe Rogan's there. Well, my friend Chris Tellez is still there. And uh oh, Chris is great. 
yeah he's he's still doing it and there's still lots of these like indie shows there that um are popping up and around and yeah who knows if it could just be a phase right if uh, i hope it's a phase or that like you know as the actual dawning of alt comedy happened in the 90s that there's just like yeah we don't want to do stuff that's like at the comedy mothership so we're just going to find some weird place and do our stuff yeah i mean that's it's cyclical right it's all cyclical if you think about like ucb came out as a response to all these mainstream comedy clubs and then ucb became the mainstream and then like in new york we had new places come about because ucb had become so like corporate and and kind of like the man um the annoyance and brooklyn comedy collective now i i think are like doing really cool well the annoyance doesn't exist in new york anymore but out of it came brooklyn comedy club right uh collective which now does all kinds of cool stuff oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah them caveat uh club coming yeah if you want to see something weird um there's that uh rest in peace life world for the year or two that they were how often are you in new york jake <laughs> Last time I was in New York was 2021. I'm oh. I swear I'm gonna come more often, but it is uh endlessly delightful to me that I actually know more about New York comedy than a lot of people who are in New York comedy. A hundred percent. Life world's a deep cut. I feel like Life World's a deep cut. They liked keeping it that way. They never got assigned. You had to go to this weird address in Gowanus. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked on shows at multiple places. Secret Loft was one of them, which I don't know right. if it exists anymore. Right. Um, where they were like, we're not really supposed to be here. So could you just sure. like email your ticket holders our address? Which right. is such a bizarre thing to try to market. Sure. I mean, that was what Don't Tell did what when they started out, but now yeah, they, they are... figured out how to do it correctly. They figured out how to do it and actually make it work. Well, because they 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 like gave a sanitary version of that. That's like, oh, we're safe. We're like, it's cool, but we're we're not not gonna be like too cool. Where this is like weird or maybe dangerous. Yeah. When it's not ever really. You're not gonna raid the show mid show. Right. And so this is a crazy. By, I think they did. By the end of 2023, they did like over 3,000 shows in 140 cities. Which is wild. That's like more than a lot of promotional companies. Yeah, that's crazy. That is truly, truly crazy. But they, they like, I, I mean, their shows are great, but it's not anything different from any other house show, really. And they just like have figured out the branding and marketing, and they, 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 and the production value of their videos is really good. I think that's like it, it becomes its own marketing machine because like your don't tell set is, is what your late night set used to be. Yes, because late night sets have kind of dried up or don't mean that much anymore. Also, they're just uh, like Netflix every once in a while will be bothered to do something like verified stand up. Yeah. And they'll call it that. Don't tell sounds cool. Uh, Verified stand up comedy lineup. Oh, my God. I don't know what Robbie Pra is thinking with that or if he's thinking about it at all or if the idea is like, oh, we have to be able to translate this into like 200 territories like just have it be called something cool in English, okay? Yeah, the Comedy Central ones are featuring. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, there's a couple of too. still late night shows where they still do um, late night sets, but mm-hmm. it, it definitely doesn't feel like it's like a big um, 
entry point into the industry anymore. No, 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 no. I remember, I'm pretty sure when Beth Stelling did her first Conan set, she still was like a nanny. Just yeah, that's the, that's, that's the reality, folks. Yeah, I was um, Kumail's manager's assistant when he did Letterman. Right. And yeah, it didn't change his life. <laughs> it was still years before I feel like his life changed. Right, right. No, I think his life changed probably when Big Sick happened. Yes, like 100%. The, yeah. The big, big thing. And now he's like a A-lister. Yeah. Yeah, which is, they're doing, um, there's a special just one-off meltdown at Largo that's happening on the 8th. I, it'll be great, I'm sure, but there's got to be some sort of elephant in the room, the fact that, like, it was because of the strike, but Jonah, like, was, took a job as a bartender, and Kamel doesn't have to do that. Well, that's comedy. It's it's full of, you know, that's like Gary Goldman talked about in his special, the like giant gap between Jerry Seinfeld and him is like there's, you know, it it it's there's wealth disparity and there's people who are making billions and it's kind of cool if they still will come do a random indie show, even though that they're millionaires, you know? Right. They'll be better for it as comedians, but I think that's where they have to negotiate what they really want to do. That's um it was it was years ago and a few hours back at this point, but Penn Oswald told the story about playing a, an Indian casino, getting paid more money to do as little time as he's ever done for a headlining set. And it was the most money he's ever been paid. And uh, essentially, people were so drunk that they just like yelled at his IMDb credits while he tried earnestly to do three jokes. And he was like, pay so much money. He was really hesitant to be admonishing any of the audience. So at the end of his contractually obligated, I think not even 30 minutes, maybe less. Uh, he's like, I guess that's my time. Uh, bye, everybody. And he got it standing out. And it felt so hollow. And like he uh, ran into the guy that booked him. And he's like, oh, that was great. We I got so many casinos up here. We have you up here every weekend. And he's like, absolutely not. No, thank you. I never yeah. want to again. I mean, you work so hard as a, a comedian of any ilk to like get to some place of stability. And then, you know, fame comes along with that. That's great. But then you come to another crossroads where it's like, well, do you just want to be a commodity now? Or do you want to continue being an artist? Yeah. I mean, I, I have this piece of this advice column from Salon like 15 years ago that I read all the time about, you know, doing the work and how the dream is like it, it, the dream is just a dream, but like the actual work is a job. And the closer you get to the dream, the more it just feels like a job. And, you know, you, you could want to be a comedian because you have so much fun on stage and at mics and with your other comedy friends. But like the work of like, I'm going to post my videos to TikTok every day and I'm going to caption each of them individually. And I'm going to go to Duluth and do, you know, seven shows for drunk people and sit in a shitty condo and like all of those things are just a job, you know? And it's yeah, yeah. like, it, it isn't the dream that's just like a beautiful rainbow where everything's fun and you get to hang out with your friends all the time. There's there's all kinds of like 
shitty parts of it that like make it closer to any other kind of labor as you know working at subway right or even like just feeling obligated to go to the cellar and hang out till four in the morning some people have that's their that's their sort of rhythm but i i'm venturing to guess a lot of comics don't want to do that every single night well that's where it becomes like are you really that's your job or maybe you are an alcoholic like (laughs) people were just like I mean, I, I certainly felt like when I got pregnant, I was like, start would keep going to comedy shows. And then I was like, wait, did I really love comedy or did I just like getting drunk with comedians? Right. That is, oh man. So a lot of comics from New York who move here, they realize that they might have a problem because last call is at two and not four. Well, nobody stays all to two. I, uh-huh. Every time I go to LA, my friends are like, you could come over to my house and smoke. We're not drinking and we're not going anywhere where we're going to be out past 10 well sashi okay well after this i'll give you my number i'm out at past 10 i okay, hate great. staying Good home uh i don't like i only speak for myself but like going home before midnight is lame i don't know that's that's the nature of i think just my friends in their 30s and 40s are like we don't really do that anymore like la is so like people are so comfortable in their houses it yeah. is. I, I I like my apartment, but I don't want to be in it too long. I don't like that. I hate, I kind of hate that. I'm a very restless soul. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I wanted to bring up, have you ever heard of 50 worst jokes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did yeah. that in New York, too. And um, there used to be a show called Odd Langxiety that I think was like Dan St. Germain and Mike, Mike Lawrence posted uh-huh. at the creek where every year people would do their worst joke mm-hmm. and um retire it right and so it was very similar to 50 first jokes and i think then that's what 50 worst jokes became as well but um when uh they moved mm-hmm. to la i think it stopped happening right Aldling anxiety what a great name uh great. we just did 50 worst jokes at lyric hyperion with Babs Gray. What was really fun about, I mean, some people still chickened out and told a good joke, but the audience is instructed to boo them if the joke is actually good. Mm. Um, but as the night wears on, you don't really know whether people are booing because they thought the joke was good or they just hate wordplay. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of puns. That's yeah. not a huge room though. You had 50 comics in Lear Hyperion? Yeah, we did it in two halves. Okay. I mean, uh, and we had like, uh, we sectioned off some seats for the comics. Um, so there was that. So we had like the second half hang out in the patio. And then the first, yeah. It was fun though. It was real, real fun. Oh, I'm, I am excited for the party aspect of it. It is really nice just to see everyone. Right. Um, you know, there's not that many, like there used to be the Creek Awards in New York. And before that, we had the ECNY Awards. Um, and it was like comedy prom. It was really nice just to see everyone. And so like, you know, just to have, to know that there's this night where we're all going to be out and about is exciting. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I wish there was a part of this for 50 first jokes. So what's fun about 50 worst jokes, at least the way that we did it, did it this year. Uh, Babs Gray and Brody Reed were like um, on stage the whole time. And they just like um, offered color commentary on everybody's jokes. Great. Yeah. That's an interruption style. Yeah. 
Um, so this is the first year. I, I don't think I mentioned that we're doing two. So we yes. will have a hundred comedians this year, which is uh, exciting, scary, so <laughs> <laughs> many people. But um, yeah, we're going for it. We're being insane. Hell yeah. So you have a hundred comics and uh, wait, you were telling me that you started paying them a couple years ago. You're going to pay all hundred. Yeah. So everybody gets $10, which is like a token, you know, of course Mm -hmm. I like recognize there's lots of people on here who do paid spots for much more than that. And and everybody deserves to get paid, but it used to be just like a showcase where, you know, it, everybody was just doing it for love of the game. But I think as the show has grown and started to make enough money that we can at least give everybody enough money to buy a drink or um, subway fare, like it just right. felt better to make sure everybody at least got that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. The whole thing about comedy, like all these like mics and shows that are like paid is like, if anyone's getting paid, then everybody should be getting paid. Right. Like right. If, if, if your host is getting paid, then your comic should be getting paid and you know, et cetera. But Um, it does take a village to put the show together. So like the money does end up going to like our poster designer and our photographer and the young people who help me run around and, and make sure everybody gets on stage at the right time. Right, right, right. And that's where I feel like there's a little more grace with that because it is such a big production. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think even when people like comics weren't paid for the show, anyone like balked at that. Also, like they don't. They don't have to do that much work. Well, I also just think it's like, it's a rite of passage. Like you might age out of it, you know, like there's a point in your career where you're like, I'm not going somewhere where they're not paying me to perform. And, you know, I'm not going somewhere where I can't bring, I don't have a comp list of 10 people where I can get all my friends in for free. Like, that's fine. Then you're, you've matured past our show. Like our show is something for up and coming comics to do that is like a showcase where everybody just gets a teeny bit of time. And like, if you're too big for that now, then please go do bigger things. I'm like excited for you that you are like continuing the legacy of the show by like going off to bigger and better things. Right. 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 Uh, what do, do people get? Two minutes. Is that what you guys did? Huh? Yeah. Two minutes. Yeah. And I would say the two minute is more of a, a dead, uh, you know, hard, and fast rule than the one joke. People will do multiple jokes if they can fit them in two minutes. Oh yeah, for sure. No, that's that's what I've seen. I've seen here. Um, have there been any highlights over the years, or is there something that you're looking forward to at this current show because of like, oh, we got this person this year? Um, let's see. In the past, like we had Reggie Watts close out the show. I know he's doing the LA one this year. Uh, Michael Che closed it out a couple years ago. I think we've kind of like started to be like, it's not about that as much anymore. Like now that the show doesn't need a big headliner to sell out, like I would rather it be egalitarian and everybody, you know, be a mishmash of like, you might see some famous people and you might see some people you've never seen before. Right. Um, even though we've been extremely lucky to have lots of really big names drop in and do sets. Right. Um, I mean, the thing I'm most excited about this year is just that I got to put another 50 people on the show because like, to me, it's like getting to curate 
a tiny comedy festival every year, you know, like there's the people who've never done it before that I've been seeing throughout the year that I'm like, oh my God, this person needs to be on the show. And that's exciting to me. Right. Uh, why are you, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's for branding reasons, but would you ever call it a hundred first jokes? Yeah. Shouldn't we No, but it doesn't sound as good. No, it doesn't. Admittedly. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, we also talked about like, could we do this over two nights as opposed to like, because this can be a long night. They need an hour to clear the house and bring everybody else back in. Right. Um, so they're at 630 and 10, which is like, it's it's going to be a, a, a big undertaking, but um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It, we may go back to doing just one next year if it ends up being like, <laughs> we're all so tired by the time this ends. I mean, you will be tired. That's uh, unavoidable. The thing I just want is for the audience to last. You know, like I don't want the people who go 98th to feel like they're not getting a good audience anymore. Sure. And uh, yeah, and that's why. And it'll be a full new audience at 10, but it'll also be midnight. So, you know, is that audience going to, I don't know. People go see the shows at the cellar at midnight all the time. Yeah, that's what I think. I thought people uh, stay out in New York. Yeah, you would hope so. But like, I, I'm nearing 40 now. So I'm like, I have fewer friends who want to stay out all night. And I don't know how to reach those people anymore. But I'm trying <laughs> to get all my 22 year old friends to tell their 22 year old friends to come to the show. Sure. In my in my times in New York, what I've realized is like, yes, there are people out in New York, but like the as the hours wear on, the 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 contingency grows smaller and smaller. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, it depends where you are. I mean, there's all kinds of, we're in Gowanus, which is very close to Park Slope. So it's definitely right. got a like older demographic. Sure. Um, you know, it's not a ton of like college kids and, right. um, but I do think they get, you know, a young hip crowd sometimes. But is the young part of Brooklyn Greenpoint now? Or no, actually, it, wouldn't oh. it be? Um, um, if, if you're Ridgewood, young and rich, right? Yes. Ridgewood is where people, cool people live now. Yeah. Um, if you're young and rich, you can live in Williamsburg and or um, Greenpoint. But I would say the majority of young people are like Bed-Stuy, right. um, Bushwick, Ridgewood. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those areas. Right. And then Manhattan's. It, it's so it's it's so kind of ironic to me that in New York, the train is, makes so so many things accessible and yet uh people complain about going from one borough to another like it's a huge huge yeah i think that's less i i don't think people care as much about that anymore like there used to be a lot of manhattan snobbery and i kind of feel like that's why ucb opened on 42nd and like 11th because i don't think they realized all those people had moved to la and i don't think they realized that young people don't live in manhattan anymore like so they didn't want to bring UCB to Brooklyn but like now Second City is opening in Williamsburg because that's where young people are you know yeah yeah absolutely and that'll be an interesting that'll be an interesting thing to see I think the UCB that's opening in New York is like eight blocks from the stand yeah, like it's, yeah it's like 14th between second and third I think yeah that's uh that'll be fascinating I think that's fine though because like UCB the magnet and the pit used to be two blocks from each other sure uh, but like, I think there's always a question of what like UCB's sort of in- interest in stand up, and now that they have new ownership and they have restructured in a lot of ways, like it seems as though they're like even more disinterested in stand up. 
Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what their their model is going to be. I I produced a stand up show there for a while and a mic there, and they were they did not really want us to have a mic there, but um, <laughs> no, they don't. They never do. It's uh, you know, it depends. Like I think there's a lot of crossover between the stand up and improv communities, and um, they uh, we were doing it at a time when there were a lot of weird people in UCB improv classes who were not getting ahead in UCB improv classes. And so they would come to our mic right. and it was like the people like, you know, Julio Torres and Mary Houlihan and um, Sam Taggart and right. um, Joe Rummer. Like it just like these people who then ended up being like alt comedy people. But like at the time it was so funny to have them come to our mic because it was the UCB mic. And they were like, well, I'm in an improv class, but I do not think that I'm going to get on a Herald team because what I do is very specific, you know, Joe right. Para. <laughs> Joe Firestone. Joe Firestone actually was on a UCB Lloyd team. Right. Yeah. That's uh what what a fun, fun group of people. Yeah, it was really great. It was a nice mic. It was a very gentle, sweet mic that I hosted with Emmy Blotnick and Matt Nadostep oh, on I Sundays love at 5 30 in the afternoon. Right. Yeah, and admittedly UCB Franklin used to have a mic that was, I think, the first Friday of the month. Emily Maya Mills used to host it and they only like it only ran an hour and they only picked 10 people to do five minutes. And it was in that weird room, right? The like room that felt like a college community center. Oh, that's UCB Sunset, which is oh. gone. Oh, okay. so that, yeah, that actually did have a weekly mic. And that that stage was always so weird. Because it's I think it was like I went to a show there once. I think it was Emily, Alice Wetterland and Aaron Lennox. Sure. Yeah. And I was like, what is this room? How are they doing comedy in this room? But it was still a fun show. It's so strange because, okay, the, what we're talking about is the used to be Sunset Inner Sanctum, which is yes, yes, yes. a cafe and then like a study lounge. That's what it was sort of designed that had a stage. It was huge. Which, it's huge. It's bigger than the showroom. You can actually fit, like if you have the chairs, which sometimes they had. You can fit more people than in the actual theater space, which is crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, they would uh, they would do some mics and sketch mics and stuff like that. But, um, but I like what you're saying about like the stand and UCB being seven blocks from each other as if there's going to be like a Jets versus Sharks or like Anchorman <laughs> style sure. fight. Sure. They're going to meet in Madison Square Park and like have right. a alt comedy versus club comedy fight. Gangster well, well maybe on Monday is when Legion of Skanks is going. Yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> Nobody wins. Nobody wins when comedians physically fight. No, no, they don't. No, they don't. Uh, and, and you can you can definitely uh, hear more about that on Dave's latest special because he talks about getting attacked a lot. A I have lot. not watched the special. You don't need to. You so don't need to. I, I was curious. Um, you you're you said it takes a village. Can you uh just for the listeners sort of give a peer into like what goes into producing fifty first jokes, aka maybe a hundred first jokes, but not really. Yeah, I mean, John and I put together the lineup every year around like November. Um you know, I usually reach out to everybody right before Thanksgiving and see who wants to do the show and um, also take submissions in case anybody wants to do the show that I might not have seen before. 
Um, I ask, I always ask Marianne Ways too, because she just has seen so much comedy in New York throughout the course of the year. And I really trust her opinion. Um, if there's anybody that she thinks that I should put on. Um, and then, you know, we, uh, start trying to market the show. I mean, increasingly it's become like, it just sold out on its own. And then because we did two this year, it was suddenly like, oh, I actually do have to do all the marketing <laughs> again. Cause like <laughs> I had stopped doing publicity for it because it just always sold out. Right, um, right, right. So now we went back to the like, okay, we'll go email all the people and um, get ourselves listed and all the, you know, newspapers and websites and whatnot. And, right. um, and then Mindy Tucker always has done our photography and, um, you know, the bell house is so wonderful about like, just all of the, like lead up to the show, um, helping us promote it. And we always try to have different people do the, uh, posters. A lot of times we've had comedians do the posters, Julia Johns, Eric Bergstrom, Mateo Lane have all done our poster at various points. Um, this year, uh, there's a comedian writer artist named Mary Set who did our poster who does insane grotesque um drawings uh so you should definitely use her for your future poster needs or um commission her something she has a ton of cool stuff up on her like website Mary Set Yeah S E T T E Okay cool Mary Set all right well I'll, I'll try to put that in the show notes um that's awesome that's that's great like i mean that is what is supposed to go into a show that, that has this many people that you start in November, like after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I think before Thanksgiving, I try to tell people like, email me by December 1st, if you can do it. But it's always been kind of like a rolling, like I'll email 70 people and then 30 will get back to me. And then I'll email another 20 and then another 10 will get back to me. And right. um, yeah, I mean, it's it even I, for a while I would book 53 comics for every show. Right. Um, because we always have dropouts sure. and now like because of COVID, I think we probably will have more dropouts, but right. it's also such a long show that I'm kind of like, I'm just going to book 50. And if you don't show up, then, you know, maybe I'll pull someone from the crowd up on stage. <laughs> That's happened. Cause we always have promised the crowd and I'm oh, like, do you want to do right, a, right. a joke? And most comics are game. Oh, okay. I thought you meant just an honest member. No, that's a stranger. No, yeah. I mean. It's usually like someone who came out to support their friend. And I'm like, I know you're funny enough to do this. Do you want to do this? Like, right, right, right. Yeah. I've, I, I got, I've gotten to do that. I think a couple of times, one that stood out to me was like, there was a, the satellite that used to be here in LA. It was where Neil Hamburger's show was for years and years and years and years. It's at the Elysian now. Um, and it just so happens that like I was the only comic at that show. That was so weird that that was even a thing. But the, it's different now. But Neil used to run his show the weirdest way. He would have two openers before he would go up, but everybody would go out cold. Like you would go on stage unannounced, and then do eight ten minutes, and then you would go backstage and then they would like let the audience like it would technically be an intermission. And then the second person would also come out cold and then only Neil would be announced. It was so weird. Yeah, I know. I remember there was a show like that in um, New York called moon work um, where all the comics just came out to silence and it was very strange. Wait, how does that supposed to work? And why is that? How does that relate to the name moon work? Oh, I don't know why it was called moon work, but it was just like, it was just like the lights would, somebody would leave the stage and then the lights would 
turn on and the next person would walk out on stage and there was no host, you know? Yeah, that I don't I I I appreciate people being experimental and taking big swings. I don't know about that. I, I mean, yeah. I had an idea for a show that I wanted to do at one point called Enough About Me, where it was yeah. just comics who you weren't allowed to use I or me on stage. <laughs> just had to do jokes exclusively not relating to yourself. Cool. Yeah, I think I when I watch specials, uh, there are oftentimes like, what would this hour be like if this person can't couldn't say this thing? I love a weird gimmicky show. I love a show that's just a challenge because comics are so creative and interesting and everybody takes the assignment differently. Like, um, what's seven minutes in purgatory? I love that. Like, just try a weird thing. Like, they're all going to just do something bizarre and great. Like, nobody is more creative than a a group of comics. Yeah. I, I got to pull off this and it went really well. It was so fun. I, I (laughs) did a clean like a family friendly clown show. Like, you know, the those rowdy LA clowns that love getting naked and like do getting sweaty, all this sort of thing. Which Stamp is great. Town? Huh? Like Stamp Town, yeah. Oh. Um, so like no one's allowed to be anything but G-rated. And we had a swear jar where performers would have to put a dollar bill in if they swore. And it was like it was family friendly, but not in a corny way. It was just like fun because it was innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and like when inevitably somebody did curse, it was a lot of fun because the whole audience was like, ah, you got it. You did it. You got to yeah. put money in the jar. On the other end of that, I did really love when we did the Dirty 30, like Joe Para did it. Mm-hmm. And to watch Joe Para have to be dirty was incredible. Like, it Wait, wasn't as he, interesting when someone who was always dirty did it, you know? Right. Absolutely. Wait, did he do a thing where I Joe used to do this joke where he would like act out having sex and it was like like really um just like it it wasn't I don't know how would I describe it? It was it wasn't like sexy. It was more just like, oh, he's obviously focused on the person that he's having sex with and not on performance or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know this bit, but uh, he is the other Joe Parra thing that I always remember is there was a show, March Madness at Caroline's where they, you know, 64 comics would do one minute each and then 32 would do two minutes each and whatever. So Joe, when he had one minute, he just was like, I'm going to do something a little bit edgy. I'm sorry. I'm kind of an edgy comic. And he just changed the S in Caroline's to a Z. He had like yeah. cut out a piece of paper to right. the exact size of the Caroline's <laughs> logo behind him. Right. And it, that was my favorite thing ever. That's great. The first thing I ever saw Joe do his, was his uh, submission for the Andy Kaufman Award like over a decade ago. Oh, yeah. That was, I, I still, this is so funny. Yeah. He's, it's like, um, it was okay. like an old timey like he it's an anti-submission if anything he's like it's this whole sort of psa on like why he doesn't want the award i the one i remember him doing is like he's like he filmed a whole little movie about his wife i think yeah 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 Yeah, i think ashley brooke roberts is his wife in that oh yeah that's so funny that's really really great um do you want to do some comic news sachi Sure, absolutely. Tell me what's going on in the world of comedy. (laughs) Well. (laughs) 
it usually is at the beginning of the year. The first uh, big thing that usually happens is Sketchfest. SF Sketchfest, which um, I think it's like one of it, they never promote themselves like this, but it is like one of the world's biggest comedy festivals because it runs like nearly three weeks. Yeah. All throughout SF. And you know you're a big enough comedy, you're like a huge, gigantic comedy festival when um, you can't buy a badge. There's no badges because there's just too many shows. Yeah, but it's also like that whole three-week thing is like it also makes it so decentralized where you can't come in and watch it as a spectator outside of San Francisco and... If you do, you're only seeing a third of the comics because most of them are not staying that whole three weeks. No, nobody ever stays the whole three weeks. Part of the reason I haven't gone to it ever is because I would want to stay the whole three weeks. Yeah. And I went, I went once and it was strange because it's like you just don't get the full festival experience because only a third of the people are there. So it just feels much smaller than it is. Right. Does that mean like the idea of ideal festival is like five days? Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Because a weekend is like almost not a festival. Like yes. I, I think it's great that a bunch of smaller scenes can like pull a few headliners, and then like basically do a two day festival with like local talent and some headliners. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I feel like a fe an actual full fledged festival is longer than that. Yeah, I think I think five days would be great because then like the people who live in that city have those first couple of nights where it's just them. Right. And then out of towners come in for the big things over the weekend and the performers have the opportunity to feel like part of something where they all get to interact with each other throughout the course of that time. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Um, so uh SF Sketchfest this year is gonna happen January 18th, February 4th. Told you it was long. Uh here are some shows they just added uh, since they announced it uh, actually like a couple of months ago. Uh, Puddles Pity Party, uh, Brian Posehn and Friends, The Crossword Show with Zach Sherwin, Ascat um, with seemingly none of the UCB4 because they actually have nothing to do with the theater anymore and it's really weird. Matt Besser does his podcast at the Ice House. Really? Wild. Does he live near there? That's far out from LA, right? Yeah, it's in Pasadena. I don't believe he does. Um, Matt Walsh does improv at Lyric now, once a month. Huh. Uh, I don't know what Ian Roberts does, and Amy Poehler is an entertainment magnet that does a uh, podcast as a fake back th therapist. I'll tell you this about the lineup. I like that everybody's name is about the same size because I always hated that where they were like, these four people are more famous than everybody else. Yeah, that's always. Yeah, 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 I agree. Because the Netflix is a joke lineup just came out and there was a lot of hubbub about who got those big tight listings at the top. Yeah, Lori Kilmartin posted a carousel on Instagram that highlighted all the male headliners that were playing the biggest venue and then this one women sh showcase. Just just one. <laughs> oh God. It's uh it's crazy. Maybe it's time to do another 50 lady bits then. Yeah, I would show them how many funny women there are. Yes. That is actually a thing that I've been thinking about. Like we're not as of now, 
Lyric Hyperion is not officially part of Netflix as a joke fest. So I'm like, well, then we got to like counter program. Uh, what would that be? And it, like, do we just give Jackie Cation and Lori Kilmartin the keys to our theater for a week? Is that, yeah, like I would be, I would be game for that. Yeah. Wait, so it, that's like one of the bigger LA fests. Uh, Riot Fest, is that all comedy? Riot Fest what they that was and that lasted for like three years and then abby launder got hired by netflix oh. and that's who created that festival and then right i mean it was so much work to like just kind of like break even yeah uh so there's not been like a central la comedy festival for a long time no and unfortunately the Tight, the ownership over the name the Los Angeles Los Angeles Comedy Festival goes to just random people. It apparently there was one that happened. Did it happen in Los Angeles? No, it happened in Pasadena at the Ice House, uh, which was really weird. They just had a bunch of clubby stand up, you know, and I, I maybe they had a workshop or two. Uh, the Crow, they did their own comedy festival. That's like a brand new club out of Santa Monica. It has free parking. Um, people try, but the issue is um, the logistics of it. Yeah. You'd yeah. need to choose a neighborhood. There'd need to be like an East Side Comedy Festival or Santa Monica Comedy Festival or whatever it is, yeah. right? Which hopefully may happen this year, but you know we have to see. The Elysian does their own little 10-day festival where they, it's just one show a night, but it's like all like un... like newly devised work like that has never been on stage before and that's always exciting uh but yeah it's been a long time since we've had a central and, and netflix is a joke fest is so big and there's so many i mean it's comparable to new york comedy festival except yeah. that the, new york comedy the, festival is enormous now i mean huge yeah. i worked on it my first job out of college i was caroline hirsch's assistant mm -hmm. so i worked on the um third or fourth New York comedy festival as like sure. the first, my first big job. Like I got that job in August and then it was in November or something. Right. Um, and it was still pretty small. I mean, we had like, you know, eight big shows at like town hall and Hammerstein ballroom, but we did not have a hundred indie venues each doing their own indie shows. I think we had stuff going on at UCB theater and that was like our only kind of like indie alti right. um, thing. And we were still fully like involved in, booking those things like there was like a with ucb it was like a best of sketch and a best of improv and things like that um but yeah. now it's just like anyone who runs a new york show that's like fairly well respected can be part of new york comedy festival it just gets listed in the marketing materials yeah they just like here's the logo for the fest they put mm -hmm. it on your flyer mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, otherwise it's like it's the show as normal i mean it's nice because it like gives us a moment when a bunch of LA comics come to town. So right. like, um, but like, I think like the best part of a festival is the like camaraderie of mutual places where you guys are meeting up yes. besides shows, you know, like yeah. just if there's a bar situation or a party situation or whatever, where like everybody gets to see each other, that to me is like, that's why you go to a festival. That is the secret part of running a festival is coordinating the hang. Yeah. Yeah, even JFL Montreal, it's the actual the actual show, the real fun happens at the Hyatt after everyone does their thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or at some, there's now like always these cooler bars that everybody's like, we're not going to the Hyatt, we're going to this cool bar. And you have sure. to like find out by word of mouth where yeah, everybody absolutely. has amassed. I remember the last time I went, uh, Sean Patton went around the Hyatt just trying to sign agents. That was great. Classic. That is so fun. <laughs> like this would be on any show, but man, this is so fun. Yeah. The only time I went to SF Sketch Fest, they had a very fun party the last night I was there, even though it was one of those weird, like, are they doing this each of the three weekends? Right. Um, but I think they were like, they had a sponsor who was like a moonshine. And okay. Very hammered. Oh, and then yeah. I had to get on the plane the next day and I was not sure I was going to make it onto that plane because <laughs> I was so hungover. Damn. But you did. I did. I was like, if I throw up too close to the gate, they will not let me on the plane. Wow. Um, I'm glad you made it. I made uh, it. Yeah. I, you know, um, at the outset of the, uh, of the year, there's not any other news items I'd like to bring up, but I guess this would be an opportune time to sort of ask, what do you, what do you foresee in New York comedy in 2024 besides me popping up more? There? Oh, that'd be great. Um, I mean, the you guys asked this when you were putting together that Vulture list. There was like a question like this like five years ago. And I remember emailing you back about like just that I think comedy has gotten so bifurcated into alt and club. Right. And like, weird left-wing arty alt and then like edgelord right-wing club and it used to be less of that and I don't know if like there's as many rooms in New York where like all kinds of different comics come together and perform in the way that they used to when I graduated from college and was going to shows every night it was like we went to cabin on Thursdays and big traffic on Wednesdays and flash on Mondays and it was a whole mix of like you'd see weirdos on the same stage as like the people who are headlining clubs that weekend right and I just don't see that as much anymore and I think it sucks because it's just like there are really funny people across both scenes and you would want there to be a little bit more harmony among them but I think like Trump COVID politicized a lot of stuff that didn't used to be out in the open and you know the internet made everyone crazy and um now it's harder for everybody to be in the same room right yeah it's weird sometimes i uh i'll be like a masochist and i'll watch gutfeld a little bit and i'll see a comic and i'm like oh no no i know i mean what are you doing here a hundred percent a hundred percent i the manager i worked for that um repped Kumail and Marin and Eugene Merman and a bunch of incredibly talented people also rep Tom Shalou who's now like a Fox News host and yeah he does red eye right that's uh-huh. what he does yeah uh-huh. and he's like such a sweet person and he used yeah. to be like integral part of the New York comedy scene and now it's like I can't support anything that you're saying on television yikes yeah yeah so uh, that's i mean i i hope that there will be more like especially in the wake of like this new ucb this new second city like i hope that there's more just like stage time big exciting shows that like people can count on good stage time um where there's a mix of comics because i do really enjoy that i think like marianne still runs um butterboy 
Yeah, Butter Boy on Mondays, although now both Joe and Aparna are in LA. So I don't know what that's going to look like. And Marianne's in LA too right now. So, right. you oh, know. Did Joe move here for uh, after midnight? Yeah. Oh, fun. Fun. Yeah. A loss to the New York comedy scene. A huge loss. Marianne. Well, you guys took Dave Ross from us, so. He came on his own accord. I know. Um, he, oh, so no, I could tell you, nobody told Dave to do that. Nobody told Dave to do that. Dave was beloved here. He oh, had, he's, like, he's on he had like one shows. of the best weekly shows. And he just like, you know, had however many podcasts he was doing at the time. And like. Yeah, he he was like a huge fixture in the scene, and then, you know, more power today. He he believed that moving to New York was what he needed to do to move up in his mind to the next echelon of stand up. I'm pretty sure he's living in Jersey, which I am yeah. too. I live in Jersey, but so yeah. no shade to anyone in Jersey. But I love that he's like, I need to move to New York, so I'm moving to New Jersey. Yes, I, I if I, I guess that is uh, where that's at because I remember last time I talked to him, he lived in Jersey City, but he was planning on moving to Brooklyn. Okay, go be in New York. I would be in New York if I didn't have a child. <laughs> right. And COVID hadn't happened. I mean, COVID right. just hit. So, like, we were in our Brooklyn apartment with a three month old, and we were like, "This is not sustainable." No, I wonder. It's, like Gaffigan doesn't live in Chinatown with like his whole family anymore, does he? Oh God, I hope not. Yeah, like that was like kind of the joke for a minute that he lived with five kids and his wife in like an apartment, and like it, the guy makes enough money to I don't know live in a brownstone where I mean Carol Gardens. There you go. Yeah, I think for if you want to be a comic, it is much easier to do it from a New York apartment, even though it is astronomically expensive and also a kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, eh, there are trade-offs. I think there are ways to be poorer in LA, but yeah. you know, then you have to have a car. Yeah. Yeah, or you can do what I do, and you know, <laughs> I ride a, I commute by bike. It's not. It's it's. You gotta be a real one to do it. It's crazy. I, I don't I don't trust bike. I don't think anybody should ride a bike in a major metropolitan area. Uh, I mean, I think people should, but I think cars make it hard. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Kenny. Oh my God, truly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Um. Well, I don't want to end on that note. No. What is what a sad note to end on? Yeah, I will say I mean, just to I know we don't have to talk about it if you don't want, but it is oh, very hard to be part of a community where people die young and you hear about it often and it is like once or twice a year, sometimes three or four times a year. Like, but I think it's like it is also a lovely thing that we are such a community that like people touch our lives and so many people touch our lives that like you know, I, I just, I, I mean, I was so sad over Christmas and New Year's about both Kenny and Neil. And it's, you know, I do also just feel lucky to have known them and to have gotten to see them perform. So. Agreed. It, it is a, it is a truly bittersweet thing in the, in the most explicit understanding of that word where like, it's so sad. They went and it was tragic their passing too, but it does bring people together in a way that, you know, we, we always think like why doesn't this happen more often 
I remember well, it's just like I, I feel like, oh my God, it's awful that these things happen so often, but it's also like, well, it's because we're part of this like big community that likes each other so much, you know, like that like, yeah, unfortunately, there are going to be losses and we wish that there would we'd never have to lose anyone, but like it's because we all are lucky enough to know hundreds of people that we all love who are doing this thing that is is frankly kind of a dumb job that we should. That our parents are probably mad at us for pursuing, but okay. Here, yes, it is. It is a beautiful. I I do want to. Uh, here's a thing that I guess I'll contest, and uh, you know, maybe we can end on a more positive note. I, it admittedly, comedy can seem like a very very stupid job, and like the things that you do to do even the job part of it like you were saying earlier like captioning tiktok videos and just like obsessing over instagram or whatever it is yeah it's it's not only dumb if it, it's like annoying and um yeah it's interpersonal in a way where it goes beyond like a professional setting like the, where there are boundaries and rules where you're actually seeing people at off of work when you're at work and that's always weird um so you got to deal with that and then also like you're trying to be an artist at the same time and do do some things with that but with all that said there is a beauty to it and that you do offer a, a relief and salve for people and that might just be understated but like there are some of the darkest times in my life where I was just like, yeah, I mean, I, I would want to get hit by a bus right now. That'd be great. Like, I'll go see a show and then I won't feel like that. And I think that me, that has a lot of value. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. and it's like you're friends with people who are like so raw and open emotionally and like willing to talk about things that like normal people don't necessarily talk about in their everyday lives, which I think is incredibly valuable. Right. Comedy is good. I wish there's there's so much like self-deprecation that is baked into the DNA of comedy. And I get it. But I wish that like. In a way that I guess would be cringe avoidant. Like comedians take a little more pride, in like being an actual artist. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I. It's such a wide range. Comedy means all kinds of things. I, you know, it's like, it means screaming monologues and performance art and, you know, poems and songs and um, people talking for three hours on a podcast. Um, you know, Like, it's just like such a huge umbrella that like, it could be anything, but like, I do feel very like happy to have found a group of people who I feel very akin to and who I like when I'm in a room with other comedians and even when I travel to other cities and I'm like you go backstage at a show and you're like oh these are my people immediately you know they're your people and like even just getting on with you I'm like I felt like we knew each other before we started talking because I'm like oh we both do this thing so we have a shared understanding of like about uh, hundreds of people and venues and yeah shows and you know it's like it just um it creates an instant um sense of like you family you know right truly truly uh comedy i mean i've said this time and time again it does still feel this way the comedy is like a home that i i had never really known before i found it 
Yeah. It took a long time of me being a weirdo who didn't have any friends. And then, (laughs) oh, I go, uh, the first time I went to UCB theater, I was like 16 years old. And I was like, oh my God, these are the people who I'm supposed to be becoming and friends with. Like not the fact that everybody in my school thinks I'm weird. Like who cares, you know? Yeah. Oh, I feel that. Yeah. I mean, I went to, I went to film school, USC film school and did every terrible film and TV job you can imagine after and you know um i didn't find community amongst jaded film crew people um i just didn't they're all good folks but uh, well most of them anyway uh but yeah that was just not where it was at and then a friend of mine who actually i'm ironically not friends with anymore but uh we started doing open mics together and i just really loved hanging out with comedians yeah, they're special yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Sachi. Uh, w- I mean, f- feel free to plug Fifty First Jokes again. Uh, but where else can people find you on uh, line? And is there anything else you'd like to promote? Um, I am at Mistrionics on Twitter and Instagram, M-I-S-S-T-R-I-O-N-I-C-S. That was my AIM screen name when I was 16. And then I just let it be my social media name for the rest of time. Um, and yeah, I work at Comedy Central and Paramount and the animation team. So we have a bunch of really exciting things coming out this year. Um, and I'm psyched for everybody to see them. So are you um, friends with Hannah Settle at all? Yeah, she's on my team. Awesome. Yeah. I yeah. Hannah yeah. Settle and Laura Schwartz, who also um she used to books both Bicycle Cafe. They're both on my team. So yeah, we're just Frogtown, comedy Frogtown nerds yes. making shows oh, together. I've known both of them for a long time. Yeah. Um, we love each other a lot. Amazing. Glad to know that's the team there. All right. Uh 51st jokes is on January 6th, a day that will live in infamy, but for us, it's an exciting day. Um, 6.30 and 10 p.m. at the Bell House. Uh, There's still tickets available to both shows, although 6.30 is close-ish to selling out. So if you are um, thinking about coming, then get your tickets quickly. Yes. I wonder if there are people who are going to, if there are tickets available, like at the 6.30 show, they're like, oh yeah, we'll go to the 10. I hope so. I hope that I'm glad the early ones, the ones selling out because then it's like, okay, if you missed your chance, here's, there's a second show, go have dinner and a drink and come back. Right. Absolutely. Uh, And stuff will be open. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's sweet talk is right nearby. That's a um, good Hawaiian restaurant. That's uh, like three blocks from the venue. Right. They make great, like big frozen drinks and tiki glasses. Oh, how lovely. How lovely. What what a what a perfect thing to start off the year with. Um, and ju- just because the 10 p.m. show is um selling slightly slower than the 6:30, I will tell you, uh, the 10 p.m. show is a standout, like truly some of my favorite comics in the world. Emmy Blotnick, Allison Libby, Natasha Bainblatt, August yep. White, um mm-hmm. who else is on? Electra Telesford. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a really wonderful lineup of people. So I'm really, I, I hope people will come out and support that late show because um, right. it deserves to be seen. Yes, both shows deserve to be seen. You know, if you're the sort of person that uh, only sees comedy maybe once a month or every once in a while, like, you know, make this the thing and go to both shows. 
go to both shows and then you won't have to you can just rest your social battery for however long you need to rest it I, yeah, I mean, I I think it'd be a really fun hang to be able to like pop in and out, and like you can always go hang out at the bar area. That's the great thing about the Bell House. Like, sure. um, you know, watch a few comics, pop out, have a drink, go back in. Like, it's a it's a night out on the town. Like, come experience <laughs> the smorgasbord of New York comedy, and right. then you'll see like three people that you're like, oh my god, I love that person. I want to see them do a full set later in the year. Right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is one of the benefits of this show. Um, I'm Jake Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com. Uh, at the Comedy Bureau across socials, you can find me on Instagram at not the supermarket. It's funny that Sachi mentioned Twitter. I feel like <laughs> I thought we we're done. Are we done with it? I thought we were done with I, it. I, somebody over the break was like, you should be on threads, not Twitter. And I was like, is that why nobody's liking my tweets lately? But um, maybe I'll go back on threads. I don't know. What was interesting is like, I'm really not tweeting anything, but I do my year end list at the, the beginning of the year. And I, uh, somebody at like tweeted at me like, Hey, is it done yet? And I'm like, Oh God, I still have to pay attention to this. Okay. Yes. I'm working on it right now. All right. Well, yeah, there's still the comedy viewer is still on Twitter. Um, but more on Instagram. Um, so many great causes to support this time. I ask that you please support those, but if you have money and generosity left over, please support the comedy bureau to keep it running. And do you have anything to say as we sign off here, Sachi? No, enjoy 51st Jokes LA if you're going and uh yeah, let me at know the comedy store on Jan 7th. Yes. Come visit New York, hang out. Yes, absolutely. We'll do. It's mainly just been like a money thing. Sure. It's expensive. <laughs> and flying is a nightmare now. It's since COVID, flying has sucked, but sure. There's the, there's that. There's also like, I don't know, it's a toss-up between like, uh, oh, do I want to crash at like four different people's places over a week? Or do I just want to stay in a hotel? The hotel is infinitely more convenient. Yeah. That sounds yeah. nice. That sounds like a, a, a little vacation. <laughs> it was. I stayed for two weeks last time I went. And um, by the second week, I was like, oh, this is what it would be like if I lived here. Like, this is like not like my living space, but like how I would go about my day. Um, live comedy is still happening. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Granillo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.